Crossway Church Sermon Audio. If you would open, your, open up your Bibles, please, to 2 Corinthians chapter 1. 2 Corinthians chapter 1. This is a book that hits on weakness and suffering uh, and is... God's word is, God's word is never afraid to face issues head on. God's word is honest. It's true. It's powerful. Um, and this book really looks at weakness face on. It's not just general weakness. Paul talks about his own weakness and suffering. And it just meets it head on. Uh, and it's really good. And it's a book that talks about those things. But it does it for this purpose, to strengthen us in our Christian walk. It's a book that strengthens us really in Weakness. I've entitled this morning's message, The Death of Self-Reliance. The Death of Self-Reliance. And the main point of the message is this. Impossible circumstances lead us to depend on God and prove His power to rescue us. Impossible circumstances, those things that we can't fix. And if you've been alive any length of time, you've run into those things. The things that you just like, I've read a lot of books, but somehow it's not coming ever. I can't fix it. Any parent probably has felt that somewhere along the lines of there's situations that come and, and we're being faithful to God's word and we're reading all Paul Tripp's books and Ted Tripp's books, but they're not working because our kids haven't read the books. And they're just not joining us in restoring them to the circle of blessing. And also, I'm like, Lord, what do I do? What do I do in this situation? Maybe a health situation. We've gone all the routes possible. We've, we've pursued, you know, health-type roads and, and routes. And, and we've gone to doctors, and yet there's not an answer. What do I do next? Perhaps a job thing. There's something that hits us, relational conflict, something that hits us, and we can't fix it. Well, why? Well, those circumstances are supposed to lead us to God and prove His power that He can rescue us. So, First Corinthians or Second Corinthians, chapter one. We're going to read verses eight through eleven. For we do not want you to be ignorant, brothers, of the affliction we experienced in Asia. For we were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired of life itself. Indeed, we felt that we had received the sentence of death. But that was to make us rely not on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. He delivered us from such a deadly peril, and He will deliver us. On Him we have set our hope that He will deliver us again. You also must help us by prayer so that many will give thanks on our behalf for the blessing granted us through the prayers of many. Let's pray. Lord, I ask now for your help and your blessing. Lord, these are people that are precious to you. Lord, that you have bought with your very own blood. Lord, whose identity in you can never change. 
Lord, once we have faith in you, we are your children and your children forever. And that identity will never change. And I thank you for that. Lord, I thank you for promises that you give us. That you'll never leave us nor forsake us. That you see us in our weakness and our struggles and our sufferings. And you care. Therefore, we can cast our cares upon you because you care for us. Lord, you also care with power. You can do things that we can't do for ourselves and others can't do for us. So God, I pray that you would strengthen us in weakness, that you would teach us Lord, not to drift to self-reliance, but to always pursue dependence on you. God, help me to serve these precious folks whom you love. Bless our time. In Jesus' name, amen. Question asked me, what do you do when you suffer or experience an overwhelming trial? Some of you may be in those trials right now. Some of you may be recovering from those trials. Some of you will have those trials in the future. So you're either in one, you've come out of one, or you will experience one in the future. And there are many different responses we can have when we are in overwhelming circumstances. Some people suffer in silence. You know, the stiff upper lip. You don't share, you just sort of take it. And you just sort of suffer in silence. For some people, they do the opposite of that. They emote out, outwardly. And you know exactly how they're feeling. And so it, it, it comes out and it comes out emotionally. So they emote outwardly. Some people just try to ignore. Just don't think about it. That's not suffering silence. Sometimes people are suffering silence. They think about it a lot. They're just quiet. Others are like, I just don't want to think about it. If I think about it, I've got to deal with really hard questions. Some people blame others. Sometimes we can move that to blame God. Why has God done this to me? Why has God allowed this? Where is God in this? When will God? And so we can blame others. If people hadn't failed me. Sometimes we can blame ourselves. Sometimes we can blame God. Some adopt the adage, when the, when the going gets tough, the tough get going. You buckle up. And you just plow through. Folks, Scripture doesn't really advocate any of those approaches. Okay, when we look at Scripture, we see this in Scripture. Scripture, by the way, does not encourage us to ignore trials or people's pains, pain in them. Scripture's not afraid, and God's not afraid of the hard questions. And Scripture asks the hard questions. We see honest questions and real struggles. So if you love the Psalms, which I do, and if you are in struggles, Psalms is one of the great places to be because of the emotive language that's in it. It's the realness of Psalms. You know, what happens when life doesn't make sense? When you're David, who's anointed to be a king, and you're hiding in a cave trying to act insane so somebody won't kill you. When your own son is pursuing you to your death. When the king that you serve loyally is coming to try to kill you. What do you do in those types of circumstances? So he had them in life circumstances. He had them in family circumstances. It just all, it wasn't making sense. And there's times where Psalms, they ask really hard questions. In Psalm 13, and see if you've ever been in here, Psalm 13, verses 1 and 2, it says this. How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? 
How long must I take counsel in my soul and have sorrow in my heart all the day? How long shall my enemy be exalted over me? Folks, in two verses, how long four times? How long? Where are you? Don't see you. I'm living in my own head. It's my own counsel. It seems your face is hidden from me. Now, he doesn't stop there, as the Psalms don't do. He keeps moving towards God and all that. But it's an honest, it's honest questions. And that's in good. If you're not a Christian here, you might today, maybe you're just here visiting and just wondering and saying, well, can you ask hard questions of God? Can you really wrestle with things of life that are hard? Becoming a Christian doesn't mean, wow, you become a Christian and everything turns out rosy. That's not the testimony of the Bible nor of history. Sometimes becoming a Christian means you lose things. There's now persecution that you wouldn't have experienced. There can be new hardships. And so we have how long, O Lord? We see that in the life of Job where life did not make sense at all. And he's asking questions. And by the way, he is very much alone because his friends aren't helpful. So his friends, the people that could have encouraged him, start to question him. And they had a reductionistic view of a godly life, that if you follow God, it's a blessed life. Therefore, Job, ultimately, you must not be following God. You must have sin. What is it? Repent. So here's a man who's being, in a sense, crushed by life. And his friends, rather than comforting him, are calling him to repent. Think about not being understood. Right? That can be hurtful when we're going through something. We feel like, boy, the people I'm talking to, they don't get it. They don't understand. They're giving me trite answers. Or maybe they're correcting That was Job. And then he ultimately, the end of Job, gets the counsel of God, which does amazing things in his life. Folks, even Jesus in the garden, isn't he in a sense, Lord, this cup? He's wrestling. He's wrestling in faith. He's wrestling without ever sinning. But this cup, is there any way for the redemption of mankind apart from this cup? It's a real question. He's sweating drops of blood. His soul's in agony in the garden, but he doesn't fail in the garden. He obeys and trusts and treasures God in all that. So folks, Scripture allows us to ask these hard questions, but also we don't stay in the hard questions. We get grace, we get God's deliverance, we get God's comfort, and we get His goodness. Here's what we never see in Scripture. We never see self-sufficiency and self-reliance commended anywhere. So that American ethic of pull yourself up by your own bootstraps doesn't function biblically. It may be a good ethic for a country. It's not a good ethic for a Christian. And there's a difference. I'd like us to look at two things specifically this morning. First is the purpose of adversity. The purpose of adversity. So let's look at our text. 2 Corinthians 1, look at verse 8. The purpose of our adversity. Paul gives a very 
honest description in verse 8. We do not want you to be ignorant, brothers, of the affliction we experienced in Asia. For we were so utterly burdened, this is very emotional language, we were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired of life itself. Now, folks, understand this about Paul, and you would know this. Paul was no stranger to adversity. So here he's utterly burdened, language, utterly burdened, beyond our strength, despairing of life itself. So, well, Paul, come on, be, be a little bit tough on that. Paul's not a stranger to adversity. So if we were to look in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, we would have a great description of things that Paul has experienced. So look at what he says in, in 2 Corinthians 11, verses 24 through 27. Five times I received at the hands of the Jews the 40 lashes less one. Just think about that alone as your experience. Think about if that was your story today. If we brought a missionary in and they stood up front and say, well, I was beaten five times with rods, lashes. Started at my ankles, walked, worked the way up through. I was beaten. My back was raw. People are like, oh my. Oh my, you went through that? But Paul doesn't stop there. Five times I received at the hands of the Jews the 40 lashes, 40 lashes less one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I was adrift at sea. So you understand, people did things to him. Now nature's done something to him. On frequent journeys, in danger from rivers, danger from robbers, danger from my own people, danger from Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea, danger from false brothers, in toil and hardship, through many a sleepless night, in hunger and thirst, often without food, in cold and exposure. This is a man who's been in the school of hard knocks. Man who's had life hard. But here in chapter 1, he's saying, in this situation, we despaired of life itself. We were burned beyond our strength. So the question is, why? Why does Paul want them to be aware? I want you not to be ignorant, brothers. Why does Paul want them to be aware of this? Well, it's not self-pity. Paul's not sitting here and saying, woe is me. And it's not to elicit pity. Paul's not saying, let me tell you my story so you all feel bad for me. I can tell this story, and you're all going to go, wow. And there's going to be a lot of people up front that are going to give me hugs at the end of this. Now, that's not why he's telling them. It's not self-pity, woe is me, and it's not to elicit pity. It's to show them that adversity can be used for great good. How can adversity, it's not the only way adversity can be used, but how can adversity be used for great good? We find that answer in verse 9. So he doesn't want them to be ignorant. Now here's the answer. Why doesn't he want them to be ignorant? Look at what it says in verse 9. Indeed, we felt that we had received the sentence of death. Now here's the reason he wants them to know. But that was to make us rely not on ourselves, but on God who raises 
the dead. Folks, troubles, adversity helps us combat self-reliance. And self-reliance, I believe, is deeply ingrained in us. Deeply ingrained in us. And is not easily overthrown. Deeply ingrained. And not easily overthrown. When a church goes through challenges, and our church is experiencing challenges, we're experiencing real financial challenges. When you're looking at the budget, and just like sometimes in your family budget, like, oh my, what do we do, and I can't fix it. And so we're looking at that stuff. Well, you know when you get in a situation like that, you know what you're tempted to do? How do I think my way and plan my way out of it? If we do this better, we can solve the problem. And, and there's a, an inclination, because we want to be faithful, we want to be responsible, we want to be wise. So there's a temptation to, let's keep talking. Now, we do talk, we do think, we do plan, we do pray for God's wisdom. But we need to ask and cry out to God. This is bigger than we can fix. It's bigger than us. But there's something of self-reliance that can function. Folks, think about this. We believe in a great gospel. That Christ died for sinners. That it's all of grace. That when he was on the cross and he said, it's finished. He paid the complete price for our sins. So we, we, we quote that verse, you know, that we're saved through faith, by grace, through faith. Not of ourselves. It's not of works. It's all of grace, all through faith, all in Christ. But we can be tempted to leave that and just try to earn and try to work it out a bit ourselves. And we drift into legalism. How I, I know God's done it all, but man, I got to do my part. And we can drift of the great news, the good news, the beautiful news of the gospel. That Christ took messy people and just saved them. And has saved them forever. And all their sins are covered. And all their sins are forgiven. This is the great inheritance of the gospel. So we read Ephesians 1, that we have forgiveness of sin according to the riches of his grace. You know what we can subtly do? Sometimes we can go, according to the riches of my obedience. Or the riches of my repentance. And we drift from the great news, the glorious news of the gospel, that Christ did it all, paid it all, and we believe it. And it becomes ours. Self-reliance is deeply ingrained, is not easily in overthrown, and I believe even Paul would have been tempted this. He's a gifted man. Uh, he's a knowledgeable man. But he goes, no, 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 I despaired of life. Why? So the power we be seen from God and not ourselves. And he says this in other places in 2 Corinthians. This is what's happening. And so he comes to a point where he starts to boast about his weaknesses rather than be embarrassed by his weaknesses. He starts to see that as, is it all's led me to trust God more? Folks, self-reliance is a contradiction to trusting God. It's a contradiction to trusting God. Listen to what uh, Solomon writes in Proverbs verse three, uh, or chapter three, verses five through the beginning of verse seven. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not lean on your own understanding. 
self-reliance. In all your ways, acknowledge him. Do the things he's put in front of you, and he will direct your paths. Be not wise in your own eyes. Trust the Lord with all your heart. Charles Spurgeon, talking about self-reliance, said the following. Self-reliance is a monstrous evil which the Lord will not endure. It's an impertinent pride insulting to the majesty of heaven because it denies the reality of the universe that we actually can do anything. God speaks. God acts. God causes things to be. And when we think we can do that, oh, the Lord's not neutral about that. So Paul sees affliction. He sees these challenges, this despair, as actually a way to be rescued from self Reliance. Ray Ortland Jr., who just spoke at a men's conference we had, uh, Covenant Fellowship, uh, just back in January, said the following God rescues us from ourselves by sending us failure. Just, just think, folks, do we want God to send us this? God rescues us from ourselves by sending us failure, weakness, opposition, and challenges. Because we need to learn humility and weakness. Yes. So when Pete says, next time he'll share my weaknesses, there are many. Failures. Weaknesses. Acts of wrong acts, both of omission and commission. And all those things, God's rescuing, rescuing, rescuing. Teaching me humility and weakness. Why? So that I will depend on him and not myself. See, folks, these things prove God's power. What's he say? This was to make us to rely not on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. He delivered us from such a deadly peril, and he will deliver us. On him, we have set our hope that he will deliver us again. And if you notice what he says... He uses raising the dead as the supreme expression of God's power. And we can't hear that without thinking, look what I did to my son. And he was crucified, but he is not on the cross and he's not in the grave. He has been raised from the dead. It's that power that's at work in you. Folks, God can deliver us from impossible circumstances. He has and he will. And there can be more trouble to come, personally, church. God will deliver us. What does that do? It builds hope. It builds hope. On him, we have set our hope that he will deliver us again. It builds that kind of hope in us. There's comforting grace that sustains us in trials, right, there's comforting grace, or we can experience power grace that delivers us from trials. There's a, a book out, if you haven't read it, it's a great book. And if you're in challenges, I'd recommend it to you. It's called The Scars That Have Shaped Me by Benita Reisner. And she writes the following. In delivering grace, we see God's glory. In delivering grace, we see God's glory. Everyone can see the miracle he has wrought for us. 
right? I was lame and I can walk. I was blind, I can see. There, you see the miracle. And it does cause people to praise God. Everyone can see a miracle he has wrought for us. And usually, our lives are easier as a result. The layman's life is easier now. It's better in that way. And we thank God for it. Sustaining grace also shows God's glory. But with sustaining grace, people can see the miracle God has wrought in us. Not just for us, but in us. Our lives are easier because our perspective is different. Not our circumstances. But our perspective is different. This is, I think, goes into that peace that passes understanding. People look and say, how, how is there peace and joy? Because it's inexplicable in light of your circumstances. Our lives are easier because our perspective is different. This grace is not just a one-time thing. We need it every day. And it keeps us dependent on God. With sustaining grace, we get more of Jesus. His comfort, his nearness, his very presence. Both delivering grace and sustaining grace are essential in the Christian life. Folks, adversity teaches us not to depend on ourselves, but on God. Second point of the text, and that's the power of prayer. And we find it in verse 11. You must also help us by prayer so that many will give thanks on our behalf for the blessings granted us through the prayers of many. Folks, prayer is not just a confession of our weakness. It's also a confession of our faith. Prayer is an expression of I can't do it, but it's also an expression of you can. And that's why we pray. Now, I don't know if you've ever asked this question, because I have and Folks in our family have, folks in our church have, but it's this, does prayer matter? And probably if you've not thought about it, uh, I hope you do think about it. Does prayer matter? Think about why we do ask that question. Well, there's a number of things that can lead us to ask that question. Does prayer matter? Does it work? Is there a reason to pray? Because one, you think, well, if God's sovereign, why pray? So where we, what do we believe about the doctrine of God? We believe God is absolutely sovereign. God's never surprised. He doesn't just know the future. He controls. Nothing happens outside of his permission. So we believe in the absolute sovereignty of God. It's his universe. He's moving it. He's not just up here, in a sense, blowing it in the right direction. He's orchestrating details. He's a sovereign God. Well, if he's sovereign and nothing can stand away of his will, then why pray? It's a question I know many have wrestled with. Why pray? Because we don't always see answers in the time frame we want. I think that's, that to me is just all over the Bible. Delayed answers. Perplexing. Because I think sometimes we evaluate our faith, and we violate the Lord in time frames that are far too small. Weeks and months. You know how God looks at time? Years and decades. Years and decades. You know, sovereign grace is all of what? 35 years old? Wow. 
That's not old, folks. What about if the Lord tarries 100 years from now and people say, oh, sovereign grace, and I came in 1985. And yeah, well, remember 85, and boy, sovereign grace was here. And oh, boy, then all of a sudden something hit in, in the 2000s. And boy, there was a bit of a lull. And then, boy, all of a sudden in 2030, and then there was a 30 years of look at God, look what God was doing. And, and then they had this other little dip, and then there was God again. You know, and you just sort of look at the... It's what do we do and how do we interpret those times? Well, if you only look at the time you're in, it's a narrow window. It's a narrow window. And I like men who have counseled me in those ways of, you know, there's, there's, there's denominations and church ministers that have hundreds of years of history. Folks, the church has hundreds of years of history. And you have this, wow. The Great Awakening, the Reformation, the Charismatic Renewal, the, you know, whatever. You have these wow moments, and then there's, there's a mundane moment, and now there's a hard moment. How do we think about those moments? Sometimes we can think about them the wrong way, but we can do that in prayer. God, I need this prayer answered in the next two weeks, in the next month, or you know, what's going on with my children over this year, six months, and it's just throwing me. And God's saying, hey, I'm here for decades. I've got decades in mind. And I'm with you in every one of these moments. So does prayer work? Does it matter? And I think Paul is clear. Oh, Paul, who I think knows the sovereignty of God, taught the sovereignty of God, Understand the depths of the theology behind the sovereignty of God. Understand the sovereignty of God and the history of God's people. An expert in that history. An expert in scriptures as written in the Old Testament. Paul, who's the great theologian, he gets the sovereignty of God. He gets it. He's not thought lightly about it. He has considered it deeply. But here's what he says, you must help us by prayer. So there's the mystery parts of how these things intersect. I, I can't answer that question, and I don't know how, uh, and maybe someone else can. I can't. But there's the mystery of the interaction. Because you must help us by prayer. That's his thing. Prayer does help. And he is not only does he need their prayer, he's confident that blessing would come from their prayer. You must help us by prayer so that many will give thanks on our behalf to the blessing granted us through the prayers of many. That's Paul. Hardcore, theologically convicted, deeply held conviction about the sovereignty of God. And yet, oh, please pray. I need your prayers and they will make a difference in my life. I'll be blessed as a result of you praying and you will give thanks. So here's how I'd like to close. We all need prayer. There's nobody in this church that doesn't need prayer, and we can all pray. You are all, in this way, ministers of the gospel. If you look at the beginning of 2 Corinthians 2, it talks about the God of all comfort, and he comforts us, but why does God, the God of all comfort, comfort us so that we might comfort others from the comfort we ourselves have received? God doesn't just come for you to keep it in you. It's to give it to others. 
And, and here, you can all pray. And these guys haven't asked me to do this, but I do want to ask you, please pray for your pastors. Please pray for your pastors. I know many of you do that regularly. But don't assume it. Don't assume others just are. Please pray for your pastors. Because they'll be the first to tell you they are weak men. I I know them. They would say, "We're, we're weak. We're imperfect. They would know ways that they fall short from the thing they love most beyond Christ, which is, and their families, which would be you. The great grief of a pastor is when they feel they fall short of the people God's given into their charge. I mean, that's the burden of, oh, my, is my inadequacy, is my weakness somehow negatively affecting the people I love? I'm giving my life to these folks, and, and I fall short. These guys are aware of the weakness. They're aware that they're imperfect. They'd be the first to say that. So please pray for them. Please pray for them regularly. They're trying to lead this church through different waters. So like you, you now have a We also, we have a mortgage. Guess what payment never changes? The bank doesn't sit there and say, oh, tough month, that's okay. We're all in this together. No, you're in it. And we want our money. And it's a bill. It's inspiring to build a church. It's labor to then pay for it. It's inspiring of, oh God, look what we moved into and look what's happening. We can have weddings here and there's probably been funerals here and baptisms here and child dedications here and people are being gathered and yeah, that's inspiring. But the bill keeps coming month after month, year after year. It's not as inspiring to say, folks, we're on our way to a fund to pay the mortgage. You know, it's almost like build something else. You can raise more money. Build a pool out there. Not, hey, let's keep the lights on. Oh, wow. Thanks for that inspirational thought. I want to give more. Folks, these men are trying to lead you through those waters. They're trying to lead you into mission. They're trying to lead you into being established in the grace of God. That the cross becomes more and more precious to you. That everything we do is not motivated out of obligations. We don't serve out of obligations. We don't give out of obligations. We give because of the inexpressible gift given to us. We serve because of the inexpressible gift given to us. That's what sustains service, not just in your 20s, but when you're in your 60s and 70s. What sustains service over decades? It's because I'm still amazed that I'm saved. I'm amazed that Christ loves me. I'm amazed at the gospel that would die for someone like me who wasn't only was a mess, continues to somewhat be messy. He didn't just save a guy and clean him up and then here's a product. No, this guy that I saved is still messy. Oh, that's the grace of God. I love that grace. These men are trying to lead you in that. 
to establish you in the gospel, to preach the whole counsel of God, to love you, to care for you, to grow this church, to strengthen this church, to advance the gospel, to handle the finances, to counsel people in trouble. Pastors don't have magic wands. You come meet with them, one meeting, and wow, my marriage is different. My kids are different. My family's different. You're inadequate for those things. You don't have all the answers there, but they'll pray. They'll care. So, folks, please pray for your pastors. Here's what's the promise. Okay? They will be blessed by your prayers. And you know what? You will give thanks for that blessing. As you pray for them and God blesses them, you know what? You'll be thankful. Which tells me there's a return for you as well. That God, as God blesses them through your prayers, you are going to see things and experience things that will make you thankful as well. For more information, head to our website at crosswaypa.org.